0: ideas, inspiration, innovation.
1: This is The Game Changer.
0: And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. Today, we have a unique topic. And not one that we talk about very often, but it is one that is near and dear to my heart. And that is our audience for this particular show today is really on the nonprofit world. But I'm going to tell you, it isn't just for nonprofits, it's also for you, corporate executives, who are trying to find ways to help the nonprofits that you care about and that your employees care about. We're going to be talking today about a book written by Julia Campbell. And the book is Storytelling in the Digital Age, A Guide for Nonprofits. And Julia, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Hi, Chickie. Thanks for having me. So, Julia, it's funny because I had uh, another guest on uh, a few months ago talking. Well, actually, I've had two in the last three months on the topic of storytelling. Mm-hmm. But they had each had their own niche. One was really just about storytelling, about your business as part of the sales process. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, we talked to John Libesay, who talked about storytelling to investors. And so you're kind of completing the storytelling trilogy. Yes, yes. (laughs) So before we dive into your book, Julia, I always love it. If you will just tell us just the thumbnail of your story and, and if you will kind of culminate in why this book and why now?
1: Okay. Well, I have always been interested in social justice and social causes. So my my parents never pushed me towards really getting active and into activism. But I was just one of those kids that started a recycling drive at their school. Started mm. like the LG. Well, it was only it was called the Gay Coalition at the time. It was in like the early nineties. Right. Um, but the LGBTQ coalition at my school talked to the paper about animal rights abuses, became a vegetarian, tied myself to trees. I did the whole thing. I was like a stereotype of a social justice activist, but I've kept that spirit alive. And I decided to go into nonprofit work because I was in The U.S. Peace Corps, I served in the Peace Corps in Senegal, West Africa from 2000 to 2002, Mm. and I worked with a lot of nonprofits and NGOs there, and I saw the struggles that they had with effectively communicating their message and fundraising. So I decided to go into development and marketing, and then I started my business about 10 years ago. Uh, just to really help and scale the kind of work that I want to do, which is really help nonprofits communicate their message and their value and advocate for what they believe in and also get the right kinds of people on board. Um, and in terms of my book, I, I'm a writer by trade. I started my business really as a blog, and then I started doing videos. And I speak a lot, I create PowerPoints, I write eBooks. I love writing, I studied journalism in college. Mm-hmm. I have a degree, uh, master in journalism. And I, I just, I love the idea of researching a topic and kind of diving deep. But the impetus for this book, it really was that I found that nonprofits, especially the small shops, the people trying to do everything, the marketing slash development slash outreach people, They know that storytelling is important. They hear about it a lot. It's very trendy. It's a buzzword. It's everyone knows, you know, the five top 10 reasons why you need to do storytelling, but they didn't know how to do it. And they didn't know how to create a culture that would embrace storytelling at their organization. They didn't know how to create the systems and the protocols and the plan. And also, they didn't understand necessarily how the digital landscape fits into storytelling. So you it's not enough to just sort of tell your story in person or at a gala or in a direct mail appeal. Now, digital storytelling has become incredibly important, if not just as important as the offline touches when you're building a community of donors, building a community of supporters. So I wrote the book really as a response almost to some of my frequently asked questions that I got on my blog, I got on my videos that I receive from my clients. And I run a Facebook group, which is basically like a focus group for me. So I wrote right. it as a response to a lot of those those questions. And I wanted it to be a comprehensive book that you could pick up and say, okay, I'm going to go through this step by step.
0: Well I love that. And I, I also love that on your Amazon uh, author page that you actually have your blog posts linked in. And yes. and that is uh, it's just a really great way for people to get snippets of, of what you have written about. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the show to let everybody know how they can connect to you. But for right now, uh, I want to dive into the book. And I do remember now that when I saw that um, I, it must have been one of your blogs that you had featured on on your LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really grabbed my my attention because my company is is selling tools to nonprofits Mm -hmm. to do fundraising. And, and so, you know, you came on my radar from that, that perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because one of the things that we do in our company is we do storytelling using a, a methodology, which I think is, um, called the Pixar method of, yes. uh, once upon a time. And then, you know, you kind of paint the problem and then you paint the answer. And, you know, everybody ends up living happily ever after. And we actually do that using a tool called Animoto. And I've oh, recently been Animoto. working on one for, uh, for a nonprofit so that they can understand how we're very different from something like Amazon Smile, which you and I talked about before we yes. got in the air. So let's, let's dive right in and, and talk about making the case for storytelling, because yes. you know it's very compelling when you're on the receiving end of a really good story. And sometimes people are a little put off, but, but tell us about storytelling and, and is there a storyteller inside all of us? I absolutely
1: believe there's a storyteller inside all of us. And I think you just need to look at how you communicate with other people. So when your partner comes home after work or your kids come home or you're talking to a coworker, you're talking to a relative you are relaying what happened to you in story form. So a great example is that I just got my hair done today as my friend Laura does my hair. And she was asking me about my recent trips and speaking. I could have just relayed to her, oh, I was in this state, I did this, I was blah, blah, blah. But instead I said, you know what, I'm going to tell her a really funny story of something that happened on the airplane. And that's going to just resonate and communicate. And she's going to remember it so much more than she would just simply a reciting of, things that happened. And what I think ends up happening with nonprofits and brands, when they think about storytelling, they often think it's just pushing out a message or promoting their agenda. But I see storytelling as showcasing the DNA of who you are and what you stand for and who you want to attract to your business or your nonprofit. So I always use the analogy that storytelling, you know, the stories that you tell, they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be, they they don't have to be like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or have this huge long trilogy. They're the breadcrumbs that will lead people along the path that you want them to go on. And they help people connect to your message organically and in a human way. So if you think about stories as, if you think about your business as a big connect the dots. So we all used to do connect the dots when we were kids. Think about your story as that and think about your brand as the big connect the dots and the stories as the dots. So when people are going through, they're being led through this journey and they're creating that connection with you. The other way to make the case for storytelling is just to explain that it's human nature. We're hardwired to not only pay attention to stories, but also to remember. We remember narratives so much longer than we remember data. So making that case for storytelling just based on human nature and psychology and human behavior.
0: Right. So you also talk about the, the need for actually a culture shift and yes. and really creating amongst your team an army of storytellers. Yes, exactly. I really believe
1: that the number one problem facing the nonprofit sector is not that they don't have capacity. they They clearly are some organizations are very resource-strapped, but it's not capacity. It's not lack of professional development. It's certainly not lack of tools. You just named Animoto. I could name you 10 more free and low-cost tools that they could use. It's the lack of buy-in at the top or the lack of respect and understanding for the work of marketing and communications and storytelling, and that can be incredibly challenging. So, well, you know, it's
0: yeah. funny that you say that because uh, we were recently in a uh, a, a very, very well-known uh, charity here in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have been learning a lot about how these large global brands mm-hmm. of the charities, like that each one of the individual offices, like runs their own little business and their, their own 501c3 and they don't even have to do necessarily what the national uh, organization tells them to do. Mm -hmm. But the question I have about that is at the end of that meeting, what we said to him is, who is your most creative person Mm -hmm. on your staff? Because I'm wondering whether creativity has been a valued skill in a nonprofit in the past.
1: I don't think that it has, because what I've seen in my work with nonprofits and also when I was a development director and a marketing director is that people don't come with these skills. They're social workers. They are people that are incredibly passionate about the work. A lot of the executive directors I worked with started as volunteers and never received any kind of formal management training or fundraising (laughs) training or marketing training. They're learning on the go you know they're they're learning as they go and they're picking up the skills and they're doing the very best they can but i come from a journalism background i come from a marketing background so it was a lot easier for me to grasp the importance of these concepts the other problem that nonprofits struggle with and it's a real problem is the issue of confidentiality and the issue of being incredibly protective as they should be of yes. their clients and beneficiaries and not wanting to cross the line into unethical storytelling or exploitative storytelling. And I think of course. that's a challenge, but I also think it's a huge roadblock because often development directors say, oh, well, we can't do storytelling because I work at a domestic violence shelter. Well, I used to work at a domestic violence shelter. I've worked at a rape crisis center. I've worked at a right. sex trafficking organization. We had significant challenges, but it's that creativity, it's that willingness to kind of look beyond telling the story of Mary who's in your shelter. Maybe you go and you tell a story of a woman who is 10 years out, 10 years removed, or you tell a story of a staff member. So I think creativity is a vastly underutilized and underappreciated skill in the sector.
0: Well, it's interesting because I I was very, very blessed uh, when I formed my company. Uh, which were a, a travel tech startup. Uh, but the guy who I hired as our chief brand officer actually had been the chief brand officer at Sabre and had launched Travelocity and done just some really amazing things. Um, but he also ran a sex trafficking nonprofit wow. in Texas. Wow. And so when we started looking at our Traveling to Give product, um, he really helped us understand how you could tell the story Right, And you know here he did have to protect the victims, um but there was a way to tell it you know with uh, a video from the back of them yep. and not showing their face and their identity or or uh you know there there are any number of ways to do that kind of uh, visual storytelling, or as yep. you said, um you know just say imagine and and mm-hmm. show a person that is just out of stock photo, right? It doesn't have to be an individual. So no. let's talk about, um, creating a storytelling plan. And then I want to move right in to building the arsenal, right? How how do you yes. actually go from deciding, your, you know, you've already bought in now, right? Okay. You've understood that we're all storytellers. You've gotten your team uh, excited about this and you're not going to create this plan and then you're going to build this arsenal. So what, what are the steps there? Well, I do recommend
1: forming some kind of storytelling committee. So that could be based on a board committee that you already have, or it could be creating an external committee. No one wants to create another committee, but you're going to need cheerleaders and ambassadors and other people to help you do this work. So creating and cultivating a group of people, it could be three to four people that really help with the creativity that help ideate and think about how to collect and craft the stories. And I have a whole chapter on that, but I'll just touch on that really quickly. And then creating the plan where you really start from, you know, the not sexy stuff, which are goals and objectives. What are you trying to accomplish? Because my my struggle with a lot of my clients is that a marketing story where you're trying to grab eyeballs and grab attention and capture new people is very different from a fundraising story that you're telling to donors who've already given to you or that you're telling to major gift donors. So the stories that you're collecting and crafting, you you can't start that work until you know what you're trying to achieve. So it's sort of like a roadmap. You can't know the twists and turns that you're going to take until you know your destination. So figuring (laughs) out your goal, what do you want to achieve and then working through the strategies to actually collect and craft and share the stories. Cause it really comes in those three parts, collecting the story, brainstorming, who would be a fantastic person to tell a story to videotape a story to videotape a story. I don't think we say videotape anymore <laughs> to record a story. You're not and You can do this on your that. phone. You <laughs> know, we all have like video editing videotape software in our phones. Yes. <laughs> so you don't have to think about it from this intimidating perspective of we have to hire a film crew. Right. But thinking through <laughs> where are the store where are the stories? Do you have a graduation? Do you have milestones? Do you have a gala coming up? Do you have an annual volunteer breakfast. Do you have food, you know, you all go to the food bank and you pack the bags and where are the stories coming from? And then when you're you've got the stories, you're thinking like a journalist, you're thinking what's interesting? Where's the hook? What's going to capture the attention of my audience? What's going to get them to take the action I want them to take? And that could be donate, that could be advocacy, that could be just getting engagement on social media, that's where the goals come back, then crafting the story to fit the specific channel to which you're sharing it. And this is super important because often we think we can just have an overarching storytelling strategy, but the way you craft a story for YouTube is very different than the way you craft a story for your email newsletter or for your annual major gift donor luncheon or for a meeting with a foundation. So collecting and crafting and crafting is going to take a lot more work and creativity and then sharing out. And I think in terms of the arsenal of stories, I would I mean for nonprofits I usually suggest at looking at really, you know, set a handful of major areas. So obviously the people that benefit directly from your services. So even if you're a land trust, even if you don't perform direct human services, who benefits and what is the vision and what is your vision of the future? Get me excited about the future that you want to create and educate me about the reality if you close your doors tomorrow. So when I was work, I worked with a ballet company and they said, well, you know, people love ballet, but they're all old and we wanna get new (laughs) people on board and ballet is just not very sexy. It's not very exciting. And I said, well, you have to think about it from the perspective of the arts. So, how can you get children like their eyes just light up when they first go to like the nutcracker or they first see a ballet? Think about what life would be like without the arts. Just think right. about the hole in the world that would occur if you went away tomorrow and tell the story around that. And if you're a human services, if you're lucky enough to like work with animals or children, tell those stories. You know, you can also tell the stories of the staff members. Staff members have fantastic stories. We don't even know. Tell stories about your donors. Um, So I actually have a really great story that I want to share with you that I always share. And I always tear up when I share it, even though I share it Mm -hmm. all the time. I was working with um, an addiction prevention and recovery program. And they told me that they had a donor and he came in every Friday right at 5 PM and gave them a $10 bill every Friday. And I said, okay, you wanna ask that guy, what's his story? He might not tell it to you, but that seems very interesting to me. It turns out that a couple of years ago, his son who was in high school had um, overdosed on heroin. And that was his allowance. So every Friday he would go in his son's memory and he never told anyone this story but because they made that connection with the donor and they encouraged him to tell his story a lot of other people came forward and then he actually created a much deeper connection with the organization. So you just never know. You have to have that journalistic eye. You have to think right. like a detective a little bit.
0: So what are some of the the challenges uh that folks face? Again, they've decided to do it. They've got a plan. They've got their arsenal. They've they've really laid it all out. What are they going to run into that is going to feel like an obstacle?
1: One challenge I see is just overwhelm and not thinking they're going to be any good at it. So they may have never done any kind of storytelling before. And they think, oh, it has to be this perfect you know, beginning, middle, end story all tied in a bow. Another challenge is that a lot of us work with populations where the story is not over when they leave. And, you know, a lot of organizations work with transient populations like people that are homeless, people that are in abusive relationships, people that are addicted to drugs, and they feel like telling that story is only either going to exacerbate stereotypes and myths or it's not a compelling enough story. I think we have this culture where we feel like things have to be perfect and we feel like things have to be completely wrapped up in a bow. And nonprofits are incredibly scared of being authentic and transparent when that's what people want. That's what donors want. They want that authenticity and that transparency. But nonprofits are so scared of losing control and taking risks and you know and obviously we're scared of taking risks because we are pl- using other people's money and other people's funds in order to right. take these risks also just lack of training lack of understanding that there are like bootstrapping tools out there there are tools you can use on a shoestring budget thinking that your video has to be this polished production for $10,000 where you hire a film crew and then Um, Another huge challenge, as I talked about, is the confidentiality piece. Just immediately that stops a lot of organizations from even wading in, like even putting their toe into the storytelling waters because they think, oh, well, we absolutely can't tell any kind of story here because we're going to be in violation of, you know, our confidentiality procedures.
0: Right, right. So let's shift gears a little bit here and let's talk, uh, about what you call molding the storytelling gold. Mm-hmm. And here in this section, you, you've got quite a number of chapters here that talk really about the different platforms. And you've already alluded to this, that you're going to do things slightly different through your website and making sure that whatever's on your website comes across well on mobile and then there's a blog, there is your email campaign, social media, visuals and video. And then I want to save some time and and we've only got about 10 minutes left, but I want to save some time at the end to talk about measuring results and and building on your success. Because I I think Hmm. at the end of the day, everything you do, unless it is measurable in some way, Um, you're going to have a hard time keeping people engaged if you can't prove that it worked. (laughs) Exactly. Let's let's start at the, at the beginning of of this. Um, So what is storytelling gold? And, and I, am guessing that you're looking at, at all of the different folks you've worked with on storytelling and, and you've got some good stories about storytelling.
1: (laughs) Yes. So the storytelling gold, I can't take credit for that quote. That's Andy Goodman from the Goodman center who is the storytelling guru. So look up the Goodman Center, G-O-O-D-M-A-N. And he said that you have to think about the story that you're telling as the gold and that you mold it based on who you're telling it to and where you're telling it. So if you're going to build a bracelet or a watch or a necklace, whatever it is, you're going to build with that gold. And what I took that to mean when I read that Was that there's not one size fits all story. So, the story that you're telling to new prospects, new donor prospects, the story that you're telling on Facebook, the story that you're telling to major donors, to capital campaign donors, there can be threads running through the story, but they're very, they're sort of molded and shaped in a very different way. So, I would even go beyond this because when I wrote this book, I tried to be a little bit platform agnostic. I didn't want it to be, this is how you do storytelling on Twitter. This is how you do storytelling on Instagram because I didn't want it to be outdated in 10 minutes. So I focused on website, email, blog, and then social media channels overall because I'm hoping websites are not going to go away anytime soon. I'm thinking no. email no. is actually increasing in popularity, even though we all say we hate it. And blogging has recently made a resurgence along with podcasting because yes. people are craving that longer form in-depth content. So we say we don't have an attention span, but we do have an attention span for a great story. I mean, think about the last time you binge something on Netflix So I haven't binged anything on Netflix in a really long time because I have two young kids, but I did watch like three episodes of the (laughs) new Sabrina and I didn't even check my phone once. And I'm thinking we have attention spans when we are interested and invested in something and when it has a really great story and then molding your story for social media. Now, social media channels doesn't matter which one you use. They were actually created to share stories. I mean, Facebook was created to connect mm-hmm. college students and to talk about, you know, where the next party is and like who the hot girls in the freshman class were. So that's where why it was created. But then things like Twitter came along, Instagram, Instagram's visual storytelling platform, YouTube is video visual storytelling. This is what the platforms were meant to be used for, and this is the strength of the platforms. And I just feel so often that nonprofits use these platforms as a billboard and a one-way avenue to really push out their promotions and their agendas, when they should be used to draw people in to get them really interested and invested and proud and inspired by the work that they do. And we have to think about how humans consume information. We can't process the thought of 30 million Syrian refugees. And I made that number up. There's probably way more (laughs) than that, but we can process. I distinctly remember reading an article about one woman and her child and their journey. And I read it in the New York times. It was a really long article, but it just encapsulated the issue in the story. And it created that emotional connection and it helped educate me on the actual scope of the problem. Whereas I'd heard that statistic, I'd heard news stories and headlines But what really cuts through the clutter is that human-centric story and the stories that really have those universal themes, like family, like she was a mom, she had a four-year-old, I have a four-year-old. She was, you know, those kinds of universal themes work really well across all platforms, but especially on digital platforms where we, you know, we're clearly distracted and have a million things going on.
0: Right. So let's, let's turn uh, to talking about measuring results and building on your successes, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you, you have to go into this with that focus, right? Of, yes. Of knowing what you're trying to accomplish. And I love that uh, visual that you gave us about, uh, you know, on your journey, you must know the destination, otherwise you will never get there. <laughs> hmm
1: Exactly. One thing that I work on with my clients is this measurement and analysis piece because it gets lost in the day-to-day work and the putting out fires and the what are we going to post and oh my gosh, we have another event and this and that. But if you are not measuring what you're doing, first of all, you're not going to know if it works and you're not going to know where to allocate your time and resources, but also you're not going to be able to advocate for your work. So I like to use measurement and results in those two ways, really to do your work better, but also to show people what you're doing and to show your boss, to show your board and say, wow, as a result of telling stories on Facebook or starting an Instagram account or sharing stories in our email newsletter, our response rate has gone up 30%. We raised 50% more this year from our annual appeal. Because we changed it to a story rather than just a bunch of statistics and data about how great we are and what we accomplished. So, really creating, well, you've got to choose the right metrics for your particular organization, but that goes back to the goal. What did you hope to accomplish with storytelling? That is also, there's a huge red flag here because a lot of people say we want to raise awareness, we want to increase visibility. And I say, well, you could hire me to do that. I could get you one more Facebook fan, and I I could—I would have a claim in court that I increased your visibility. So you have to be really careful when you have (laughs) these vague goals. You know, we just—we want to raise as much money as possible. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? And what what does raising awareness mean? What does that look like? How can I measure that? Does that mean more website traffic, more blog subscribers? Does that mean? More engagement on Facebook. Does it mean more email signups? What does raised awareness look like? And then I would dig even deeper to be, to say, well, what does that raised awareness get us? Did we get more media stories this year? Did our executive director get featured on more, you know, in more newspapers? Did we get more um, people coming to us for corporate sponsorships? So really thinking through what success looks like, but then figuring out numerical measurements, like qualitative and quantitative measurements of success are hugely, hugely important. So I have, you know, a spreadsheet that I like to use. And I think it gets a little overwhelming for people because it has a ton of different metrics in it. But just figure out maybe five to 10 metrics, which are numerical things that you're going to track website traffic, email signups, Facebook fans, whatever it is, figure those out and track them month over month over month and start to see the trends, start to analyze what you're doing. And then that will help you. That will also help you feel like you're not spinning your wheels. It'll help you focus. It'll help you say, oh, well, you know what? We don't really get any traction from Pinterest. And I can say that because I've looked at the data for six months. Maybe we shouldn't focus on that so much, but we are getting a lot of interest from LinkedIn. So maybe we should put more focus there. It will just help you make decisions um, in a more strategic way, and it will help you effectively advocate for your work to your boss and to your coworkers.
0: Well, Julia, thank you so, so much. This thank you. This has been incredibly enlightening. We've been talking to author Julia Campbell about her book, Storytelling in the Digital Age, A Guide for Nonprofits. And this book guides you every step of the way. Uh, the book is a, a conversational, fast-reading style. It was really designed for those of you who are incredibly busy and, you know, really can't even think about taking on one more thing. But let me tell you, storytelling is a great deal of fun. So mm-hmm. I encourage you to get Julia's book. Julia, can you tell us where the best place is for them to find follow you and find you and connect with you if they want to hire you?
1: Sure. My website that has my blog and all of that information is jcsocialmarketing.com. And I personally love Twitter. I'm on there all the time. And I'm at Julia C. Social.
0: Yeah. I have yet to figure out how I can make Twitter work for me. <laughs> I am just, I am way too wordy for, yes. for that platform. And uh, I know it sometimes takes longer to, to write edit.
1: shorter. Right? It does. It really does talk about, Oh, I had to edit that book. And oh man
0: <laughs> can't well, put everything in that you want. No, you can't, but you, you uh, need to uh, do a little bit of teasing. And I I'm guessing that Twitter, uh, plays out well on that front. Julia, it has just been great fun talking to you. And clearly you are incredibly knowledgeable uh, about this topic. So anyone would be very fortunate to have you speak to their group or or actually to work with you. So thanks so much. And I hope you have just an amazing weekend. And I look forward to talking to to you soon.
1: Me too. Thanks so much, Shiki.
0: All right. Terrific. Thanks, Julia.
1: You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.